Irish Radio International. Welcome to That's What She Said. This is Joe, and Kieran is here with me. Hello. Hi. Emer is not here. Emer, I miss you. Um, it's kind of strange. It's always strange when one of us is missing. Anyway, That's What She Said, a weekly show that presents an eclectic array of sounds, thought, and experiences of everyday life and people in Cork City. Well, this week, Karen, mm. we are going to put on our, ex, you know, our glasses f- to explore things, whether it's a magnifying glass or if it's just a looking glass. I have no glasses with me. Well, we should. That's what I mean. Like, we should put on our binoculars because right. uh, we're going to go all the way to Korea mm-hmm. just by sitting here. I have a friend in Korea and she's a teacher. She teaches little children and um, I usually catch up with her as often as I can. And I okay. thought that uh, because she's leaving very and she'll be moving to Hanoi very soon, I thought it would be nice to just um, ask her a few things and share it with everyone here. I see. And this is Nula, right? Yes. Her name is Nula, Nula Malone. She's my, she's my friend from... Ooh. That's new. (laughs) (laughs) And Nula Malone. She's my friend uh, from when I was living uh, in Belfast, but I actually met her in Mozambique. And uh, she lives um, in Warren Point, which is a very lovely little town, village. I can't, I I don't know what's the difference. And um, it's in County Down. And so that's that. And then we also will have Anand Gururajan, who is a postdoctoral fellow in the Cork Neuroscience Center at UCC. He'll be coming in and talking to us about the ups and downs of stress. So, yeah, let's, um, sure, we'll just start and listen. We'll start with Nula, shall we? Yeah, exactly. All right, then, let's check it out. far too many platforms and it's hard then because some things work better once and then the next time they don't i don't know so i don't know skype with my parents and it is useless skype has become quite redundant for sure yeah it's because i try to get um whatsapp working on my dad's phone yeah and his phone is too old it's very cute What what time is it for you in Korea? It is see my TV is still set to Irish time. <laughs> my laptop, my laptop. <laughs> Your TV. <laughs> my laptop's hooked up to my TV though. <laughs> is it? Yeah. Oh yeah. I'll oh, show yeah. you. Hold up. 
internet TV, yeah? Yeah. Yeah. Um, sorry, it's gone all stupid. <laughs> Is that your side or my uh, side? I don't know. Hello. <laughs> what happened? I don't know. <laughs> all the stuff. <laughs> It still, it still feels like a old school trunk call, you know. To be honest, now where I, I'm in Cork, and you're in a little island, in Korea, <laughs> right? What's the time difference again? Remind me. So it's nine hours. It's ten to seven now. And how many oceans are between us? Which direction do you want to go? Oh. <laughs> most straightforward direction <laughs> that's just where there's no traffic or shall I say tailwind <laughs> uh, or do we want tailwind I don't know <laughs> I think east eastway is more land oh west no that's totally wrong eastway so bad but left right eastway is more water okay and westway is more land probably okay my dad's not trying to Skype me <laughs> so when when will you finish up in Korea? So end of June is my finishing time. Oh my god, it's calling me again. Hilarious. Um, end of so end of June is my finishing time. Oh my god, it's calling me again. Hilarious. Um, yeah, I had a time last year when I was just like, I hate it here. I hate the school. I hate my job, and I hate it here, and I hate everything. But I don't know. Then you kind of just. Uh, like it doesn't take long before that kind of kicks out of you again, I guess. Hmm. And do you do you still know what it is that you hated it so much? Probably just being miserable and not meeting the right people and that kind of stuff. Yeah. Because I really like everyone was like, but you really make the most of it here. Like I traveled loads. Yeah. I met loads of people. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Or maybe it was just I don't know being so far away from home for so long and. Knowing that it wasn't going to come to an end and not being happy about that. And now I'm like, it's great. <laughs> oh, God. But it makes a good difference, doesn't it? When you have uh, a good, uh, the people that you like around you, isn't it? Yeah. Even okay. if it's just three people, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I really think it does. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I met quite a few, like, life friends. Oh. Definitely and over the and, like and where would they be from? Are they also from different parts of the world? Yeah, people from everywhere. Yeah, like yeah, one girl in particular, um, Carla. Yeah, she's like, yeah, like a good bestie. Like we'll talk all the time. Like as much as me and you would talk, maybe more because she's like, you know, just always on her phone all the time, <laughs> like even me. with your brother. <laughs> me. You know, but people like that. So yeah. Where is she from? South Africa. Oh fuck off! Oh, amazing. Uh, that's my next. That's my next big trip. I'll go there. Maybe. Yeah. yeah. Not this summer, but next summer. Yeah. Woo! Oh, that's so cool. That's yeah. Cool. Yeah. So, what about you? What's going on? Um. So, Ethan has started going to like babysitting. 
Yes, I was going to ask. He's not here now because he's gone. Yeah. Sitting. So how often do you do that? Or I do for just twice a week, but just like for four hours. Like he's gone now from 10 past nine and he'll be back at 12. And the best part is that it's literally next door. Like we share a wall. It's our what? neighbor. Yeah, and she's lovely. And Oh, that's great. So now when, what, now when Ethan has gone over... Uh, he's the only baby that she's looking after. What I try to do then is while he's gone, I, I try but fail miserably to clean the house um, or to go for... Uh, <laughs> yeah. You? No. He keeps being told that he's the best boy in the world. He's the best boy in the world. And you know it's not. He <laughs> can be the best boy I don't know. Have to wait. I have to. Thirty-six months old. I don't know. Things are really good, though. I don't know. Well, he is. He 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 is a good boy. I don't know about the best boy in the world. He's the best boy in the house. Yeah, that's pretty. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So I have to wait now till he's eighteen or something to know if he's the best boy in the world. You'll also have to meet all of the boys in the world. Yeah, which I will definitely meet. Or just host your own um, best boy in the world competition. competition. Yeah, why not? How long have you been a teacher? It's my fifth year, Joe. (laughs) You're no longer my wee puppy. (laughs) No. No, it's so easy. Is it? Bash it out. Yeah, I've always been like that, though. Just like, here's what we're doing. This sounds good, blah. Because I don't really think the lesson plans really count for very much. Oh, but then... It's more like doing the lesson. I mean, as long as you figure out, like, some good, you know, a good agenda for mm. what you want to do. I don't think you need to and... write up a whole bunch of stuff. Yeah. However, I have always had a year team partner. So I like to make it quite clear to them what I'm doing. Right. And you know? the kids, the kids are really small, right? They're like... 10 aren't they like yeah these yeah. ones are 9 and 10 9 and yeah. 10 right so then yeah so then isn't it important or not Im- it is important but it also becomes necessary isn't it like to have it to be as creative as possible but because yeah it'd be fun to yeah fun stuff. because like your like your own attention yeah like your own attention span is like two minutes and so yeah, yeah. <laughs> like my is two minutes long, Joe, so <laughs> you kids must be like struggling after about five. Yeah, five seconds. They're like, uh A, B, okay, boring. <laughs> <laughs> no, so we all yeah, we always do like games and projects and stuff like that. Nilamudi haure yer 
was um, Tumani Diabete and Ali Fakra. Um, they are both Grammy Award winning artists from Mali. And that was a song from um, a single from their, from an album in 2010 called Sabu Yer Koi. Now, the reason I picked that track was because Nula and I went for his gig in Belfast years ago. And he's really awesome. He was there with his son and Yeah, it's really pretty good. So, so far, Nula and I, we were just catching up and she was making fun about me being a mom and I was making fun of her being a teacher. And um, then, and obviously there's more to our chat, which I'm going to roll now. And the chat is um, more about Korea and her experiences. And she tells us, a, you know, it's almost like a National Geographic podcast. Have, have a listen. Now that you're going to be gone, are there any similarities... 
between your little island and the little town of Warren Point? Are there any similarities? Yeah. It's really hard because I sort of am one of those people who's like, you know what, fundamentally nowhere in the world is really that different. That is true. Everyone's, everyone's still pretty much the same. People yeah. work, they look after their kids, they socialise, they do this, they do that. Um, but here in this island, it's so different because it's um, like, uh, because of the industry that's here. Which is? These huge ship- shipyards that oh, have loads. Yeah. So that means that kind of, you know, about a fifth of the population are expats who don't belong here. So they make a whole new community or a thousand communities amongst themselves Mm -hmm. and their friends. And most of them are single men as well. Ew. (laughs) Yeah. And it's a shipyard town, so there's loads of, like, uh, prostitution and stuff here, like strip clubs and bars and stuff. Yeah. What else is there here? Oh, yeah, and then a lot of the workers in the shipyard aren't even from here. They are all from different parts of Korea or, like, this, like the nearby city. Right. So they just come here and work during the week and then go home at the weekends. Like, I have a friend who does that who's an Argentinian guy, but he's lived in Korea for a long time now, like, six years. And he used to be an English and Spanish teacher in Seoul, but then he wanted to, like, have a proper career. So he started studying more engineering oh. um, at university and then he got a job in the shipyard. But he has a job like as a Korean worker rather than as an expat. So the expats here are in like mega bucks and get really good salaries and stuff and loads of time off and they can, you know, better hours of the day. But this guy works there as like a, as an actual Korean. So it's different for him. Right. But so yeah, there's a, there's, yeah, quite a lot of differences, obviously. So the 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 town itself is it a town that became a town because of the ship shipping industry, or was it a small like a fishing village or something? Sorry for stereotyping yeah. now, but what what is it? Yeah, no, yeah, I guess it used to be. There used to be like two. There's loads of fishing villages around here. But oh, is there was it? Oh, okay. One or two main ones. Yeah, and and. These two have developed into these sort of huge shipyards. Like they're absolutely massive. They're building one of the biggest ships in the world. I think it's the biggest floating vessel in the world. Really? Yeah, it's really oh, cool. So cool. So yeah, no, I guess it used to be, and then it all boomed, especially when all the oil and gas went like through the roof. Yeah. And making loads of money, and now obviously it's all dropping back down again. Yeah, yeah. Left down and people are leaving and less families are being brought over as well. Yeah. Uh, so that's why our school is obviously losing loads of children. Oh, okay. I know that for you, Warren Point is home. So obviously you're going to be like, oh, it's great. But, <laughs> and I haven't been to your Korean home. So, but for me, because I know you and because I've spent those many weekends in Warren Point, I know that it's a very friendly place. So do you think I would find your town friendly as well? So again, the thing about here is that because some expats are here permanently, right. they're so friendly and they're up for you know meeting people and you've got all that kind of stuff. Right. Then you have the kind of 
um, shipyard workers who are just coming and going for like a month at a time. Yeah. And they don't really talk to anyone, really. Like, even when you pass them in the street, they're just like, moo, which I really hate. Yeah. But, I mean, they've, they've got a good reason for it. They're not, you know, they don't want to live abroad and stuff like Yeah, they're passing. And then you've got the Koreans, and some of them are just so lovely hmm. and so accommodating and friendly and just downright cute. And, you know, then you've got the other ones who are just, like, drunk and spitting and pushing past you and stuff. So pretty much <laughs> like Ireland. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, no, not that different. Yeah. <laughs> so, friendly. So you're pretty much on point there when you say every, no place is really that different. There's the same kind of people so. everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> I, think, uh, I think the I think the things that make them different are the the obvious things or the things that you only notice when you when you're there for a while. Yeah. Like even then, there's some stuff that you know. I didn't ever get annoyed about it, but it could annoy you. Yeah. Uh, like, one of the things is when Koreans are eaten, they are so loud, they slurp, and they splash, <laughs> they gurgle, and it's just disgusting. And there's stuff everywhere. Yeah. You know, and they're all, like, reaching over you and pulling things from here. And, you know, we're so polite. Can you pass salt, please? <laughs> Thank you. Can I have a napkin, please? Thank you. You know, and it's so rude to, like, get anything on your clothes or have food in your face. And I'm one of those people who always spills stuff on my face and all over my clothes. And I didn't realise, obviously, I just thought Koreans are just, you know, a bit gross like that. <laughs> Until talking to some friends, and especially my friend's husband, who's Korean, and she, he told, like, she had food all over her face and she was really embarrassed and he was like, you know what's considered, like, really good here if you've got food on yourself because it means you had a really good meal. Yeah. <laughs> if you have a good meal, you must be really happy because food is everything to them. They don't ask, how are you? They say, have you eaten? Yeah. What you eat? <laughs> did you have dinner? Where did you <laughs> And he also explained to us, like, when Koreans go out for dinner, it's considered rude to interrupt someone, to ask them for something. So they'll just reach over and grab it because they don't want to interrupt someone's food because it's so important to them. It's food. <laughs> it's like amazing. You know, and yeah, there's other things they do here that are really, really sweet and lovely that, you know, I'm not, I'm not convinced that they would happen to me at home. Yeah. I don't like, like what? So, just the little, just little, like nice things they do, like the way they help you with things or just, yeah, like I remember being at the bus stop one time and I obviously looked really cold and grumpy because I was really cold and grumpy and right. uh, I just kind of looked over and this little woman's just you know giving me some food you know they're always giving you food and stuff <laughs> as well. yeah so you're not missing this part of the world as much or do you enjoy having both sides of the world to go to I think I enjoy both yeah I've loved being able to go home a few times yeah. and I haven't felt bad about that no I originally thought I'd feel really bad if I went home like I was like missing out on all this travel and then I was like I can travel all the time like I live here yeah yeah so, no yeah I can travel for the rest of my life if that's what happens yeah as long as I get to do some good trips and stuff then going home is really important too true true so but you're yeah go back in the summer we'll see yeah however my father is still skyping me okay and 
going out soon. How long have so we I'm been talking like, for? Well, Almost an hour! <laughs> it's insane. Uh, okay. All right. Bye, bye darling. Bye. bye. Ciao. Bye. <laughs> If you're interested in getting tips on how to grow your business and insights into your personal development, tune into Dr. Lil Life Coach Thursdays at 9 p.m. on Irish Radio International. Together with my American correspondent, Ron Shank, we discuss struggles and successes in life and business with a host of local and global leaders, business owners, and public figures. That's Dr. Lil Life Coach Thursdays at 9 p.m. on Irish Radio International and repeated throughout the week. For more details, visit our Facebook page or irishradiointernational.com. Welcome back to That's What She Said. This is Joe, and I'm here with Kieran. Um, so, so I thought that it'd be interesting just, you know, because I'm always curious about all my friends who live in different parts of the world. And, um, and Korea is so far away. And as Nula ex- tried to explain how many oceans are between us, um, it was, I think, it's nice to be reminded that fundamentally, as Nula said, that people are kind of the same everywhere, or you meet the similar kind of people. And it's comforting, isn't it? I think it is. Yeah, I think there's another way of looking at that too, whereas, you know, you tend to attract the same kind of people as well. No matter where you go, you'll seek out like-minded personalities. Like wherever you go, there you are. Yeah, yeah, because she did did mention that she was feeling a bit bummed out earlier at the start of her stay. But then as soon as she met more people and put herself a little more, she anyway puts herself quite out there. But but then just a little more and then she attracted the kind of people, even if it was just a handful of friends or people to talk to, she was then enjoying her experience all the more and um, she's leaving uh, with a, with a positive experience and um, and it, it's very reassuring especially now because things are so crazy around us that um, that the world we live in is not so bad exactly islands <laughs> of calm out there somewhere. yeah yeah okay Seymour and I we were talking about how there's all these different people who are investing so much time and and um, trying to investigate different things that are happening around us or finding new things that could um, help us or resolve things and and these are people who do their research either their PhD uh, students or are they students or fellows I think and um, and they're studying multiple uh, branches of science or arts or technology, sociology, psychology. And so we thought we should, instead of having all these research papers being um, bound in these amazing books and being shelved, we should get them out and have a have a chat about it and increase our own knowledge base. And so starting with chapter one. Yes, starting with our own chapter one, um, um, put a feeler out there and like, okay, who's going to come and talk about us? Because it is, it does take a bit of effort to get, you know, would we call them academics? I think we would. I think academics is a Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it does get, you know, you do have to kind of charm them and then they're like, okay, fine. 
going to come and talk because uh, because oh god forbid you pull them away from their research it's but, the process of appealing to their towering <laughs> intellect I, I know and then calling them to this show mm-hmm. and then having them to explain really complex things and to not dumb it down but to actually just exp- break it down so that we can understand and so we're very very honored i think every time we have a doctor here we should say honored and although he is a doctor i'm not i'm and i've said it already twice but i don't think he likes that that's anand guru rajan um, who is at ucc he's a neuroscientist and he's wearing an amazing jumper right here um with rockets on it i love it totally love it oh gee thanks joe <laughs> so he's the neuroscientist with complete swag as well so we love that and um his research is all about the ups and downs of stress mhm so yes and is that the official title anand Uh yes yeah, so I um I am a um postdoctoral fellow yes. at uh, at uh, the Department of Anatomy and Neuroscience at uh, University College Cork. Yeah. And I was lucky enough to get funding from the European Union. Yes. uh to conduct a two-year project into stress resilience. And funnily enough one of the one of the aims of that project is for people like us to actually get out of the lab right and communicate science to the public which is really really important so this is perfect awesome i love it this is perfect yeah yeah i love it okay just a little quick background doan and sounds like he's i don't know from where he is of indian origin very proud indian origins but based for in singapore and then he met his wife in melbourne who is also of indian origin but she also has a family in zimbabwe and i was living in zimbabwe for a while so it's 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 like crazy our world is so small we 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 nomads basically yeah totally vagabonds exactly. love it yeah, yeah. and uh, and um and he and his wife are here because Anand is working on um his paper mm-hmm, and uh, mm-hmm. while Poonam is also Poonam also has a, a science background yeah so she and, also has a science background but uh, she's stepped away from science she yes. saw how much i was kind of i suppose slogging away and she <laughs> thought you know this is not for me so she's moved on yeah mm-hmm. but um yeah so okay so the first thing you said he he Anand has very kindly broken down things and he said the, f- the first thing he'd like to talk about is how the brain responds to acute versus chronic chronic form form of stress um especially during adolescence okay go ahead explain please so basically uh at the adolescent period of 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 life is is the time when your brain is starting to come into its come into its own you know the brain is still very fragile um and that's the period of life when you're most vulnerable to 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 stress uh and that can stress that stress can take many forms it can take the form of um something uh, social so you could lose a parent or you could be abused as as a child or as a teenager or it could be something which is a bit more environmental where you uh, abuse drugs or you go out and drink too much alcohol those types of things so those are the types of stresses that can really affect how your brain develops uh and how it kind of comes into its own so when you grow older and you become when you enter adulthood those stresses that you're exposed to as an adolescent really really start to kick in So that's when you start seeing the onset of a lot of disorders like depression, anxiety, schizophrenia, psychosis, those are the types of things. So one of the kind of areas of research which is really really hot at the moment is trying to identify early on uh during that adolescent period where we can intervene in people who have experienced those types of stresses and what we can do so that when they do enter adulthood they don't 
um, they don't experience those psychiatric disorders like depression, anxiety, and schizophrenia. So that's a really, really uh, um, hot area of interest. And this has actually taken up um, quite a bit of uh, traction in Australia. So there's a group over there called Origin, and they look at um, identifying young adolescents that are prone to or predisposed to getting psychosis. Okay. And they take these kids uh, and they try to put in a lot of behavioral kind of programs in to ensure that when they do grow up, they're functioning productive members of society and they don't have that much of a burden on the healthcare system. Okay. So that's that's a really, really uh, interesting area of research. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And... Um how so when you when you're doing research here right mm-hmm. it's so and then you're saying that it's it's for adolescent but then um is there enough information out there for caregivers mm-hmm. to understand or to differentiate if an adolescent is in fact going through stress or if if they're just having a sure. tantrum sure so there are i suppose there are two ways of um answering this question first of all there's still a lot of stigma mm, yes out there. Um, and I don't think as a society we have accepted the fact that, uh, you know, people still uh, tend to stigmatize uh, yes. if, you, if, you're, if you have a mental illness. So that's the first thing. We need to kind of move on yeah. and accept the fact that mental illness is, I suppose, part of the fabric of, of the life that we live. Uh, the second thing, uh, I suppose, would be to say that we've kind of um, developed new diagnostics Hmm. that we can use to uh, predict or diagnose whether someone is likely to get a uh, stress-induced psychiatric disorder. But the technology that we have at the moment isn't 100% foolproof. Right. Um, You can get a lot of false positives. Right. Um, So we can't really say for sure whether someone is going to get... um, depression or anxiety because they're exposed to stress during ad- during adolescence, yeah, if yeah. you know what I mean. Yes. Um, so we have a long, long way to go in both those kinds of, both those um, um, areas. You yes. know, we have to accept the fact that mental illness is part of um, uh, humanity, I suppose. Yes. And we need to be better at identifying people that are at risk, right. either by, um, uh, you know, really, really technologically advanced diagnostic systems or by conventional kind of, uh, you know, me being a psychiatrist and you being a patient, having a better kind of conversation to tease out what exactly is the problem and how I can help you best. Yeah, mm. yeah. Um, but I think even though we have a long way to go, but I do think that um, all the science is related to identifying any people who have stress, whether it's adolescents or sure. irrespective of age group. Sure. This science has come, has evolved, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. it has come mm-hmm. a long way. Absolutely. So there is really no need for people to have stigma. Yeah, I, I guess it depends on, <laughs> on, on where you come from. Okay. Um, uh, I mean, I've, I've done a lot of reading in this area, especially when I was doing my PhD. So schizophrenia, for example. Right. Um, in, in India, yes, yeah, so. uh, schizophrenia is, is, is um, not, ex- it's not, it's not stigmatized a lot. Hmm. Um, because I suppose everyone is kind of closely knit, the families are very close together, Families tend to accept the fact that a member of their family has schizophrenia and they're very accommodating. Hmm. Whereas I suppose in, in, in Western societies, the, that kind of mentality or that kind of thinking isn't there, that progressive kind of thinking isn't there. Yeah. But that's not to say that things aren't changing. They definitely are. Uh, but it's like I said, it really depends on where you come from and the culture that you're exposed to. And that makes a huge difference on how you 
uh, accept or you respond to someone that, that has a mental health disorder. Right. Yeah. And within within the social fabric, there is also gender roles. Absolutely. Yeah. That must also impact your sure. research. Sure. So, so um, we, uh, we look at, uh, we try the, as best as we can to look at both males and, and, and females. Um, and I suppose the, the general consensus is that females tend to be a bit more predisposed to certain mm. types of psychiatric disorders, whereas males, on the other hand, are, are different. Um, so we try to make sure that we, whenever we do any research, we account for this gender difference. Um, and, you know, males tend to be a bit more uh, reserved when they are talking about their past. Okay. You know, they don't, they're not often very forthcoming with um, uh, uh, information about as to whether they were abused or not, right. or they had a, yeah. a stressful experience as a child. Whereas females tend to be a little bit more forthcoming with that kind of information, which is really, really important when you're doing a clinical study. Yes. Uh, you need that data in order yes. to be able to make any uh, reasonable conclusions. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So um, the next part is about resilience. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, although I have so much to still ask about the other part. But we'll st- <laughs> You'll have to have me on for another time. I think so. <laughs> uh, when you have made more progress, maybe. I yeah, have, as, yep, yep. Yeah, do uh, a catch-up. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're saying that um, it's about resilience. It, before we went on air, uh, just off the mic, you were talking about 9-11. Mm-hmm. And, ha- and you were giving, you gave, you explained statistics. I'm going to say you. You, you say mm-hmm. what? What? Yeah, so they, they they did some research back uh, just shortly after after nine eleven yes. uh, happened, and uh, they found that the majority of people that actually went through nine eleven or were there to witness it, um, the majority of them were actually uh, resilient in that they didn't experience any serious kind of post traumatic stress disorder symptoms. So we we made the kind of conclusion from that study that, um, uh, or the, I should say, the authors made the conclusion that the. Uh, resilience is 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 a is a common trait. It's a dominant trait. Okay. But because we, uh, as society, tend to always focus on focus on the negative, okay, we always see stress as being something negative. So yes. we always tend to focus on oh, too much stress. You know, I'm gonna. Uh, yes. I'm going to get sick. Yes. We kind of neglect the fact that most of us are actually very resilient to stress. Mm. So we kind of we completely might have just forgotten about that. Yes. But maybe uh, we, we should be focusing on that. And that's what's been happening in the last 25 years or so. We've started to realize that if we can understand what goes right in mm. the people of brains who are stress resilient, maybe we can help the people that aren't stress resilient to make them stress resilient. Right. Uh, by doing a, a lot of different things. And you think, and that that can actually happen. You can make someone more. Re- or first of all, where does resilience come from? Right. So, the the is it is it chemical or is it uh, emotional? So I, I guess there are a lot of different theories about this, and there are some okay. controversial theories as okay. well. One of the most controversial theories, uh, which I think is a bit interesting, really, is the fact that resilience can actually be inherited. Okay. Um. There's some like, like everything else, I suppose, mm, isn't it? There is some data to suggest that it is. You okay. can be passed on from generation to generation, but most of this is kind of in animal animal studies. So okay. it hasn't been kind of um, the, the the data isn't solid enough to say that you know it's it's actually possible. Right. Um, but the other kind of um, aspect of, of of resilience is that it's something that you are um, you develop, I suppose, depending on the environment that you're brought up in. Okay. Um, and if you're exposed to stress, sometimes if you're exposed to stresses when you're young, 
those stresses can actually prepare you to manage stresses later on in life a lot better as well. Okay. So this is what uh, I mentioned to you guys before about the stress inoculation theory. Yes. Uh, that's a really, really interesting hypothesis. Okay. It's the fact that you can maybe exposed to mild stresses yeah. during your adolescence and that can prepare you to handle, I suppose, more severe stresses later on in life. Hmm. So yeah. like a skill. I suppose so, yeah. yeah and some people thrive on stress. Right. Oh, some yeah. people do better <laughs> when they're under the pump. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's, you know, there are kind of two sides to, 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 to Everything, this. You know? yes, so some yeah. people react badly, some people react really well. And this yes. is what I'm trying to, uh, trying to uh, find out, what goes right in the brains of people that are stressed and how we can help people that aren't. Yes. Mm. And when you say you're trying to find out what's happening in the brain, it's, it's obviously through to see... It, there, it, is it all measured in numbers? Uh, so th- what I'm looking at is uh, specific genes. Okay. What genes are switched on, what genes are switched off. Okay. And what can we do to make sure that the res- genes that are involved in resilience, how do we switch them on or how do we switch them off depending on what the situation, depending on the context. That's interesting. Um, and there are some really, really interesting ways that you can do this. And it's not always necessarily by drugs oh. or by <laughs> pharmacotherapy. Um, it can be something uh, as, as, as simple as exercise. Yes. Okay. Or, 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 you know, something as, as, as pleasuring as just being with the good people around you, having surrounding yourself with good people people that give you positive vibes or people that are there to help you sort the stress out or manage the stress more effectively. Okay. Uh, these things, um, superficially, it might look like it doesn't do much, but it does have a really, really uh, a significant effect on the brain. Yeah. Mm. So if, okay, so if we have, um, if, 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 if there is someone, very quickly, if it mm-hmm. is possible, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. if there is someone who's feeling really down, mm-hmm. Uh, and if and if if I would consider myself, for example, someone who's giving positive vibes, so do I just continue doing what I'm doing? Uh, I think so. Yeah. What's, and, what's the worst thing I could say to them? Uh, you'll get over it. Oh yeah, that's not nice. Uh, at that's all. probably the number one thing that you should not say. Yeah. Uh, I, I think it's more important to to, to listen. Cool. Uh, and try to find ways that you can help the person. Right. Um, okay. Yeah, the kind of patronizing them is not the way to go. No. Mm. Cool. So the next track, we're going to take a break. Mm-hmm. And the next track was picked by you. Oh, thank you. <laughs> um, it's called Mechanical Sparrow by Atella. We'll listen to it.
As much as I want to listen to that whole track, which is about seven minutes long, but I won't. That track is all the way from Norway, from Ber- Bergen? Bergen? I don't know. Bergen. Bergen, mm. thanks. And it's uh, by a DJ called Atella, and he did it with his friend O'Martin, and they call it... Mechanical Sparrow. Or, yeah, um, I, I, it's amazing. The reason... Anand picks this track is because he is a DJ by night and it's deep house music that Anand um, spins and he has his own show of awesome lounge music, house music on, on UCC radio. It's brilliant. When When is that on? So that's every Friday from 2 to 3 p.m. That's a, that's a crazy hour to be spending. Those no, it's not. Is it not? Oh, it's brilliant. I, I, I like it. I still haven't heard it, but I've heard, I've got a taste of your music, so mm-hmm. I'm, pretty, I'm pretty sure it's awesome. Thank you. Yeah. Um, okay, we're continuing to talk about the ups and downs of stress. Mm-hmm. We've already covered about stress in adolescence, mm-hmm. the kind of research you're doing on it. Then we spoke about uh, resilience, how it could be innate and how it could also be developed like a skill. And um, now we're going to talk about the gut-brain axis. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm not going to explain that you do that. Okay, so this is uh, this is a really, really interesting area of research that's kind of led by uh, my supervisors, Professor John Crine and uh, Professor Ted Dynan. And basically, it's the idea about how your brain activity or your behavior even is actually controlled by the bugs in your gut. Okay. Um, and it's it might sound a little bit unusual, but if you think about some of the phrases that we use in everyday language, like a gut instinct, having a gut instinct for something, or having butterflies in the stomach, or having gut feelings, um, they kind of are, are, are convey exactly what is going on. So we 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 have evidence to suggest that microbes or bacterial uh, microbial organisms in the gut can control brain activity and behavior. Why not? And um, there is some really, really interesting work that uh, that the lab that I uh, that I've uh, that I work in has done. We they they did some work where they took the um, the poo okay. of, of of patients with, with fecal matter. The fecal matter. They they <laughs> took the fecal matter of, of of patients with depression. Okay. And they and they um, injected the fecal matter into the into the stomachs of of, of mice that were. Otherwise, normal, normally behaving mice, and they did some behavioral tests which are relevant to to depression. Okay. And lo and behold, these mice were depressed. Is it not because they were injected with fecal matter? Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> so that's what they call. I'm sorry, a, I'm being childish. No, this but, is what a child would ask, isn't it? So this is this is this is what they call a fecal transplantation. Oh, gee. And it's wow. not a novel concept. They, no. they used to use this many many years ago to treat uh, Clostridium difficile injections. It's, a, okay. it's an infectious disease. Okay. So it's not a novel concept of having a pool being transferred from 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 one. 
Uh, host thing. to another. Host, wow, okay. And you know, it's been it's been touted as a potential way to treat depression as well. If you can, you know, obtain uh, the pool from someone that I suppose is not depressed, and you transfer it to someone that is, is that a way for us to be able to treat depression? Has that been actually done in uh, human beings? I, I I don't think it's been. If it has been done, I don't think it's been sanctioned. Okay. Uh, You'd have a hard time selling or pitching you, that you, versus Yakult. Uh, well, there you go. Absolutely. <laughs> But it's okay. it's the 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 gut microbiome. Well, the microbiome in its entirety is an amazing organism. It's an organism in its own. Yeah. Uh, so I've got some numbers here, which actually will put things into a little bit of perspective. The human body has more microbes than there are stars in the Milky Way. Oh my God. Right. Right. Okay. Uh, and are they? Do they? Do they die? And are they regenerated? Yeah. Absolutely. Is that why absolutely. we love to eat yogurt? Well, yogurt is a way for us to restore. Okay. Um, I suppose whatever we might have lost, specific oh. kind of species. Oh wow! Okay. Uh, but it's it's uh, one of the reasons I suppose it's impor- important for us to maintain good gut health. Okay. Uh, and one way of doing this is to make sure you have a really really good diet. Right. So they've done some research recently that suggested a Mediterranean diet. Right. Uh, lots of legumes, olive oil kind of. Uh, Fiber, basically. Yep. Yeah. That's a lot more healthier uh, than a Western diet. Gee, who would have thought of that, right? <laughs> um, so yeah, there's a lot of interesting research that's being done about the importance of, 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 of gut health. And last week... Um, uh, to some of my colleagues um, and uh, John Cry- Professor John Cryan and Ted and they published in this journal called Biological Psychiatry. They found that treating mice with so-called probiotics, mm. uh, which is kind of like Yakult, if you know what Yakult is, yes. they treated mice with these probiotics and they put the mice through a stress paradigm, a stress, uh, a t- chronic stress paradigm, and they found that these mice were a lot, a lot more resilient than mice that didn't receive that probiotic treatment. Okay. So it actually gives you another sense of how we can, uh, uh, you know, help someone become stress resilient. Okay. You know, if we can uh, treat them with these kind of probiotic formulations, maybe that's one way for us to help them. Hmm. Uh, in addition, of course, to doing things like exercise and, you know, yes. uh, behavioral therapy, that kind of thing. So okay. it's, it's really, really interesting work. But one area of research that hasn't exactly been fully explored yet. We have an idea of the mechanisms mm-hmm. by which the gut communicates with the brain. We've got some hypothetical mechanisms. And one of the mechanisms is involves the vagus nerve. Okay. And uh, so there's this joke. There's this joke that my uh, my supervisor likes to crack. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Because <laughs> if you cut that ver- if you cut that nerve, right. you cut off that gut-brain axis signaling. Okay. So he often goes around saying what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Okay. So, But we still don't know the precise mechanisms as to how the gut signals to the brain. But we do know that it actually is there. And... Uh, likewise, the brain can actually signal back to the gut as okay. well. So, yeah, it's a really, really interesting area of research. That's And is is that something that you're doing or no? You, Absolutely, yeah. In yeah. fact, I'm trying to identify whether there are specific uh, uh, microbial species in the gut that can, that, that can predict whether someone is going to become resilient to stress or not. Wow. So you might not believe in the concept of a gut feeling, but mm-hmm. your brain does. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So that's, I'm, that's great. I'm working with uh, uh, another very talented postdoc uh, in my lab, Dr. Josh Light, and we're both working together. He's taking care of everything below the neck. Okay. <laughs> I'm taking everything in, in the, taking care of everything in the head. So we're together. We're kind of really trying to tease out what it is 
in a, in a, in a molecular level, what does it mean to be resilient? Okay. And what can we do to help people uh, to become resilient to stress? Okay. Mm. If there was if there was anything that you wanted to tell someone who has no science background and mm-hmm. who was a skeptic, mm-hmm. if there's something that um, any advice that you could give them in order to have their uh, anything related to stress that they can cope with. Sure. What would that be? Sure. Well, I mean, I think, you know what, let's 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 broaden this out a bit. Okay. Not, let's not just talk about stress for a second. Let's talk about just science in general. Okay. I think uh, we're at a time, we live in a current uh, era where it's really, really important for scientists to go out and communicate. Yes. Uh, not just about stress or mental health issues, but about anything. And it's also Definitely. really important if the public has any questions or they're doubtful or they're not sure about so of these you know so-called alternative facts yes they need to they need to come and ask us they need to come and speak to us but and you're so scary no the, the thing is <laughs> the, that perception of us being kind of white-coated geeks walking around the lab it's totally wrong we're geeks but we're not always kind of cloistered in the lab <laughs> we like to go out and we like to talk um, especially about stuff that excites us and this is something that really excites me yes so i think we really really need to kind of break down these barriers you know public should interact with scientists and likewise you know scientists should really go out there and share whatever knowledge they have they because should, this is the yes. only way that we're going to be able to progress yeah. on and, and get over if the knowledge is shared so absolutely. you're really just a bunch of easygoing fun-loving guys who Most like to talk about putting feces into mice a- absolutely. <laughs> All right. so the other way the other way you can think of it it's not just a gut brain access but it's also yeah. a butt brain access <laughs> there you go yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 that's crazy Full circle. Yeah, yeah. I don't know about if Poonam his wife agrees about him huh. wanting to leave the lab and talk to people because he's, he's always in the lab <laughs> <laughs> researching very important things for the betterment of our society absolutely go on and Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Do we have time for our last track? We have time for our last track. Our a bit more of a chat, if you like, as well. Oh. I feel like there's Do you have plenty any more we're talking yeah. about with the hand. Oh, about the Kelly McGonigal one, because um, it's a TED, TED, uh, TED talk by Kelly McGonigal. And mm-hmm. uh, I think I keep, ever since I've come across it, I just want to keep talking about it and maybe this could relate back into you because you did touch upon it um she says that stress mm-hmm. is it's a signal and when you say i'm feeling stressed instead of getting all paranoid and ooh, having the jitters you're supposed to kind of calm down embrace the signal because it's actually your body preparing you to deal with the challenge in front of you whether, absolutely yeah, yeah. So, would that be yeah, something yeah, sure so um th- there's been a lot of work done on um uh, from a sociological standpoint as to how you respond to to, to stress and one of the uh there are kind of stages in how okay. you, you you manage it and the first one is acceptance okay uh it's almost like the, the you know stages of grief or stages of anger yeah um so the first one is acceptance okay uh, so you accept the fact that stress has occurred okay uh, and you have to deal with it you okay. have to get on with it uh, you have to be able to manage it and the second step is what can you do to manage it Okay. Uh, so there are lots of things that you you should be able to do. First of all, like we discussed before, surrounding yourself with people that can help you manage the stress. Uh, if there are some practical things that you can do, uh, those people should be able to point you in the direction of what you need to do. Right. They should be able to help you find the resources that you need to 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 manage the stress effectively. Okay. 
And I suppose the last the last stage is trying to um, uh, kind of uh, recollect or or look back at mm-hmm. what happened and kind of uh, consolidate the experience that you had. Uh, not just the negative, but also the positive experiences that followed in terms of having the people around you help help get through it. And I suppose in this way, when a subsequent stressor occurs in the future, it might not, it might be a different one, mm-hmm. or it might be a similar one. You are better prepared. Right. You know how to manage the yeah, stress yeah. response you, and absolutely. make it productive. Yeah, you're able right. to better manage from it. Yes. Yeah. So I suppose these are kind of really three basic. Uh, yeah. steps that you go through when yeah, it seems through. logical though. it is yeah. it's yeah. absolutely logical yeah. yeah 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 so this is great so just just to note that anand is not a psychologist he is no. a neuroscientist mm. though he sounds like a psychologist but what he's actually saying is based on scientific fact evidence based advice well the thing is a lot of the science that we do now is very multidisciplinary so yeah. we have to make yeah. sure that we do talk to other people in the field so mm. i work with a very talented psychologist in the lab awesome. uh, dr andrew allen and he's someone that i highly recommend that you get on the show as well he's fantastic to talk okay. to all right and we've we've kind of uh, talked a lot about this right. and we're trying to find out whether um, it's possible to collaborate he works with a lot of um, patients with dementia and specifically people that are caring for patients with dementia. Wow. And we're tossing about the idea of whether we can find out whether those carers some of them are more resilient to the fact that their loved one has mm. dementia or whether someone uh, some of them are a little bit more uh, susceptible to you know being kind of totally borne down by the mm. responsibilities of oh, having yes, to take of care of someone. Yes, yeah. So we're looking at a lot of uh, you know potential collaborations, but that's what science has become all about today. It's all about collaborating with people from various disciplines to kind of move the field forward, and ultimately you know it's trying to help people. Awesome. And I th- that's something that I really feel passionate about. Cool. Mm. Thank you. Yeah. Perfect. Thank you. Great. Thanks yeah. for having me, guys. Yeah, definitely. So. We're going to leave you with a track that um, Imer picked for us. It's called I Know What I Know by Paul Simon. Until then, uh, we'll see you next week, you guys. Bye. Take it easy. Thank you, Anand. Thank, Thank you, Kieran. Thank you. Who am I to blow against the wind? I know what I know.